Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hi, friends. We are live on this Sunday, the last day of 2023. Thank you for being with me. Pro-Life Leader Frank Pavone here of Priests for Life. Uh, Let me know where you're from. Let me know what your prayer intentions might be. Let's delve into the Word of God together on this last day of the year, a day that the church uh, dedicates to the Holy Family. It is the Feast of the Holy Family. It is a day when we think about what the family is, how the family can flourish, and indeed a day when the Scriptures give us some uh, very good guidance and advice about being in a family and what it is that the what the virtues are that constitute a happy and harmonious family life. So we're going to look at those from St. Paul and also talk about the connection between the family and pro-life, the connection between strong families and ending the culture of death because there is a very deep connection. I see your comments. Glad to see you all and uh, let's continue putting ourselves now in the presence of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We come before you, Father, on this Lord's Day, a day when we again celebrate the resurrection of Christ, a day today especially devoted to honoring the Holy Family. We praise you, Lord God, for the year that is concluding today, even now as we speak The year 2024 is making its way around the world, time zone by time zone. We ask you that as the new year comes, we may have a new heart, a new spirit, a new joy, a new determination to leave the past in the past and to use our time in the way that best serves you and best fulfills the plan that you have for what kind of people we need to become and what kind of tasks we need to accomplish on this earth, what kind of relationships you want to flourish in our lives, and what kind of holiness and salvation you want us to possess. May this new year bring us closer to you in every respect. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So let's read from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Brothers and sisters, put on as God's holy ones, chosen and uh, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if one has a grievance against another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must do. And over all these, put on love that is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks 
be to God. The Christmas season is relatively short, but it's very intense. And as the days of the Christmas season go by, and we're entering uh, tomorrow into what is called the octave of Christmas, the one day, I mean, this whole week has been the octave, but tomorrow is the day that is the octave of Christmas, one week later. But as the days of the Christmas season go on, it's like we're looking at the, the manger scene, if you will, and at different, on different days, the spotlight is going on different people. So tomorrow it'll be on Mary, the mother of, of Jesus, the mother of God. And today it, it, it embraces Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Next Sunday it'll, it'll go wider and it'll embrace the, the three kings that came to offer worship and gifts to Jesus. You see, different days of the Christmas season look at the event that happened on Christmas from different angles and draw out different lessons. And all of them are interconnected with one another, and all of them relate to our, our discipleship, our journey as we follow the Lord Jesus. Today, it's the family. It's the fact that when God became a human being, now, obviously, His conception, His birth were miraculous. Mary remained a virgin before, during, and after uh, the birth of Christ. So, that being acknowledged, Jesus didn't come into the world, I mean, he could have come in any way he wanted to, but it wasn't like he came down on the clouds. That's how he'll come in, in his second coming, but it wasn't like all of a sudden he just appeared out of nowhere. Notice what, what God did. God created the family. He created marriage. He created family. And therefore, he respects what he created. He loves what he created. And out of that profound, eternal, infinite respect, he, in becoming human, chose to do it through a family. Chose to take the route of going into the womb, developing as an unborn baby, being born, again, noticing the, the uniqueness of Jesus' birth, he's miraculous, but nevertheless, going through a mother and having Mary and Joseph, even though Joseph is not his biological father, nevertheless, as close as salvation history can have it, this is the family representing the nuclear family as God created it. Mom, dad, child, other children, if not, was not the case here in the Holy Family, but in so many other families, as God calls parents to be generous in welcoming the gift of life. So that's the first lesson to take away. God himself created the family, and God himself became part of a family. And then St. Paul, in this particular reading, tells us more about what the family is. And the first thing he says in this passage is that we are chosen by God. That's crucially important to understand. When we talk about how can we have a happy family life, how can we have harmony in the family, how can we come together and, 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 and love one another in the family, the starting point is to recognize our calling in God. He creates us. He creates the family. He determines who we will be and who our parents will be. 
You know, we often say just on a natural level, well, you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your relatives. And saying you can't choose your relatives is for many people an acknowledgement that they would not necessarily have chosen certain relatives if it were up to them. But the deeper point about you can't choose your relatives is look at who chose them for you. The most wise, the most loving being, God himself. So there's got to be something to why your relatives are your relatives. God himself chose your family. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, put on as God's chosen ones the following virtues, and then we'll, we'll look at, at what he says. But that's the first truth to see here, that we're chosen to belong to the family to which we belong. God knows for each of us exactly what we need in our family relations. Now, of course, many people are going to be saying, you know, this is ridiculous because, you know, I'm being mistreated by this or that family member. But that's because that person is failing in their vocation. They're failing what the plan that God laid out for them. So it's not a justification of any kind of bad behavior. Plenty of people are, are being unfaithful to the call that God has given them. But that doesn't take away the fact that in His plan, God chose the people He chose to be our relatives. And if everybody fulfills their plan faithfully in God, we have exactly what we need in order to be who God wants us to be. Now, I remember Dolores Bernadette Greer. Some of you may not recognize that name, especially if you're from New York. Uh, she was, uh, for a long time in the New York Archdiocese, a uh, leader, chancellor was her position. She was a pro-life leader. She was a family uh, advocate and uh, a force for evangelization for the culture of life. And what Dolores uh, would say when it came to the family is, you know, in order to evangelize the family, in order to strengthen the family, in order to help the family live according to God's plan, we first have to find the family. And I remember her saying that decades ago, decades. In order to evangelize the family, we have to find the family. She said, where, where did it go? Where is stable, fruitful marriage? Where are mom and dad and children living together and actually having meals together and actually talking with one another? And this is the place where we start, isn't it? To ask that question. Because now, she said that to me decades ago, now it's even worse not simply because it's not just simply a question of the deterioration of the family, and we can identify all kinds of sociological trends that, that account for the deterioration or at least illustrate the deterioration of the family, whether it's uh, divorce, uh, absent fathers, all, all kinds of you know, domestic abuse, etc., etc., or just, just plain isolation just plain isolation and not being able just to even talk with one another. But today, there's a, the added dimension is we have seen better than, than, than we've ever seen it before, the sustained systematic attack on the family. 
I've been sharing on my other program, the Praying for America, my weeknight program, that I hope you tune into every weeknight at, at 8 p.m. The Praying for America show, we have been analyzing Mark Levin's new book called The Democrat Party Hates America. And it talks about, among many other things, the attack on the family. This is a coordinated, deliberate attack. And that's why it's more important for us than ever to understand God's plan for the family, articulate it, teach it, live it, and defend it. Best way of defending it and teaching it, of course, is to live it. The family is a communion of persons. And you know what else is? God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is, if you will, a family of divine persons. Same mind, same will, and that's what one of the differences, I mean, besides the fact that he's God and we're creatures, it's not three different minds, three different wills, three different gods. It's, it's one, but nevertheless, there are three persons who give themselves completely to one another, love each other completely, and the Trinity is meant to be, well, let's put it this way, the family is meant to be a reflection of the Trinity. And how is it that the three persons in the Trinity live? It's what I mentioned already, total self-giving. That's the secret. Giving, not expecting to receive, not always focusing on how am I being treated. No, We're not always focusing on how difficult is this other person. No again. That's not going to get us anywhere. If those are the things uppermost in our mind, We'll never have harmony, we'll never have joy in the family. Put on as God's chosen ones. See, again, it starts there. What did He choose you to be? He chose you to be a member of a communion of persons. Of persons, not of things. So we don't look down on, use others, uh, manipulate, and we don't treat people as objects, looking at them just for gratification or for the fulfillment of our needs, whatever those needs might be. A communion of persons. Let's talk about those two words a little bit more. If everyone in the family is a person, yes, of course we provide for each other's needs. We each play a role. Parents are to be providers for their children. The father in a particular way has a providing role. The mother in a particular way has a uh, a, a nurturing role of, 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 of new life, first in her womb and then uh, uh, after birth. Obviously, children look to their parents for food. Uh, we look to each other for, for, for uh, protection. Uh, children look to their parents for shelter. It, 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 there, there's all kinds of specific ways in which we serve one another's needs in the family and beyond. But that doesn't mean that that's the purpose of that person being there. That's one of the roles they fulfill, one of the ways that they serve, but the person exists for his or her own sake. And this is important to realize from two directions. First of all, on the receiving end, we should be filled with gratitude, and that's one of the things Paul says in this reading, for the services and the goods and services, if you will, that the other persons in the family provide for us, be filled with gratitude for the breadwinner, be filled with gratitude for the food on the table and the work that others in the family did to put it there. 
But do not evaluate the importance of that person based on, based on that productivity. But it's also important to realize not from the point of view of the receiver, but from the point of view of the giver, because the time comes when the giver may not be able to give the way they want or the way they used to because of infirmity, age, or maybe there's a loss of employment due to circumstances beyond one's control. And then the temptation is that the person who is called to give and to provide feels useless. No, you're not there primarily as a giver, as a provider, as a, 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 an instrument or an object or a vending machine. You're there as a person and you're called in the family to be one of a communion of persons. That means you have your own value no matter how much you can produce or, or how much you can't produce, no matter how well you can function or how well you cannot function, no matter how well you can help the other members of the family or how you can't. It's not that that determines your value. It's not that that determines your importance. It's not that that determines the love that family members have for one another. Brothers and sisters, we are a communion of persons. And this all is contained in Paul's assertion that we are God's chosen ones. And this reading given on the feast of the Holy Family. Communion. Persons in a communion, the communion again means, think of the Trinity, total self-giving to one another. We start each day thinking, how can I serve the other? Not that my value comes from my productivity, but I am called to live in love. How can I serve the other, give myself away, make the other happy and comfortable, not going into the communion of persons or with a defensive shield saying, okay, let me make sure that they don't do anything bad to me today. Let me make sure that they're respecting all my needs, all my boundaries, all my feelings. No, no, no. Get the focus off of yourself. You know, one of the uh, colleagues I have in, 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 uh, in the church who has done a family ministry for many years said, here's what family means. F-A-M-I-L-Y means forget about me. I love you. Isn't that great? And, that, and that's, what we're, that's at the core of being a communion. Forget about me. I love you. I want to go out of myself beyond my own needs and serve yours. And then Paul says all the things that come from this. Compassion. The word means to suffer with. Somebody is lonely or sad or in pain or in distress or confused. Suffer along with them. Have enough sensitivity to see the suffering, enough willingness to ask about it, and then see what you can do to help so maybe you won't be able to relieve it, but at least you can be alongside that person and suffer with them. Show how much you care. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility gentleness, patience. You know, I was thinking as a, reading this again today, this is a great passage for us to print out and put up on the, on the wall or on the mirror or, or on the bed, bed table, it, right? Because it's like an examination of conscience. Every night, every morning, 
we can look at this and, and say, okay, here's my, it doesn't take long to read, here's my game plan for the day for, for family. And here's the, examina- here's the game plan in the morning and then the, and then the examination of conscience at night. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bearing with one another. Oh, yes. Because we know others have to bear with us. Bearing with one another. Not looking for perfection anywhere. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. How many times? Forever, brothers and sisters. Endless, infinite number of times. And let the other person know that. The forgiveness is always going to be there. If one has a grievance, forgive one another. And by the way, part of what being in a healthy family and part of this notion of communion is communication. Now, we work a lot with the after effects of abortion. That you, want, you, know, you want to know the number one thing that destroys families? That, that's, I'm, I'm talking absolutely here. The number one thing that is the most destructive thing to a family is abortion. The beyond, and I'm not only talking about the fact that it actually kills one of the members of the family, the most defenseless one. I'm talking about the fact that it introduces all kinds of poison in relationships. It destroys esteem. It destroys trust. It destroys communication. It destroys sexual intimacy. It destroys everything. We can go into that, but we can give you a whole course on that. But, but just remember that point when you think about the harmful effects that abortion has. Nothing destroys the family more. And communication within the family. Now, I deal in the realm of abortion all the time. I can tell you constantly we're hearing from those who had abortions, part of our Rachel's Vineyard or our Silent No More campaign, they'll say something like, yeah, you know, we, had, we went for the abortion. I was sitting there with the, you know, whether it was the boyfriend or the father, uh, uh, the, uh, or a husband at that time, but the father of the baby. And uh, I came out of that clinic and uh, we sat there in silence and then we drove home. And this might be the person talking to us 10, 20, 30 years later. And they say, we never spoke about it again. Never. And that's not going to get healed. If you never speak about something, then take it beyond the realm of abortion. How's the communication going? Is there something bothering you every day about another person in the family? And every day you get up and you know you're going to face that annoying pattern, habit, or whatever it is, behavior. And then another day goes by and you suffer it and you don't say anything. And day after day after day, the more days that go by that you don't say anything, the less likely it is that you're going to say anything. But say something. Start the communication with kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving. We use all these tools that Paul is laying out. But my friends, you know, families are filled with pseudo-secrets. A pseudo-secret, pseudo means false, right? A pseudo-secret is something that everybody knows, but they live as if it's a secret. That is, pretending as if nobody knows about it, and therefore nobody can talk about it. These are harmful to the family. 
Uh, in the realm of abortion, of course, this is a very, very specific point, but it is an, a, an important question that comes up a lot. If somebody has had an abortion, should they tell their children about it? And overall, the answer to that is yes. There's the proper way to do it. There's a proper timing to do it. We help people to do that through our Rachel's Vineyard and Silent No More programs, of which I serve as pastoral director. Uh, and we'll be glad to help you with that. But brothers and sisters, the reason why the answer to that is yes, is that, like I said before, nothing destroys the relationships in a family more than abortion. There's a lot of problems happening within families, within uh, the ability of parents to raise or relate to uh, their children. And uh, it's not immediately obvious to either the parents or the children, where those tensions or problems or gaps are coming from. And very often they're coming from an abortion. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, you have a problem. Oh, that, that means you had an abortion. Please, no, absolutely not. That's not what we're saying. I'm saying that when someone does have an abortion, the impact that it has on the family is very palpable. And what I'm saying is that at the appropriate time and in the appropriate manner, when the people in the family who are being affected by that abortion but don't know about it do come to know about it, it enables them to deal with the problems better or even to resolve them altogether because now they know the explanation. Now they know the reason. Now they know the cause. That helps. So it doesn't mean it's today. It, 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 again, there's a proper timing, there's a proper way of doing this, but pseudo-secrets do not help families. When there's things that have got to be brought out in the open, and, and, and we're not just saying it's just abortion, you know, you know better in your own family what I'm talking about than I do, but there are pseudo-secrets everywhere, and it's better that the things be brought out in the open and discussed. Over all these, Paul goes on to say, put on love. Put on love. It's the bond of perfection. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts. A key to the spiritual life, a key to basic human relations is be at peace. Let nothing disturb you. Because to the extent that something disturbs you, it's going to disturb your relationship with somebody else. You're worrying about something. It's not that the other person did anything wrong to you, but you're going to in reacting to that thing that's disturbing you, you end up reacting negatively to somebody in your family. And it's like that person is rightly saying, hey, wait a minute, what did I do to you? And they didn't do anything to you, but you're, you're actually reacting to the thing that's bothering you. The more peace you have in your heart, the better your relationships are going to be with the people in the family. Now, here's the thing. I, I'm going to tell you a story of when I was a teenager. I remember a specific day and I had been prone, as, as everybody is growing up, to particular uh, uh, just expressions of anger and impatience in the family. And, 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 and there were things that were bothering me, of course. We all have things that bother us. And I remember one day I was standing in the kitchen and an insight came to me. And here is what it was. I can choose how I respond to these things that, that bother me, that up to now have been leading to angry outbursts, 
that really don't solve anything and make everything worse. I said, wait a minute. I can choose to respond differently. I don't have to lash out. In fact, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to let somebody else's behavior disturb my peace of soul. This all comes from what Paul is saying about let the peace of Christ control your heart. What controls your heart? What controls what you think about? What controls how you respond? Take control of it. Don't let the other person control you. Don't let their, their, their negativity control you. Somebody else's negativity, that doesn't determine what you think about. Somebody always thinks in a negative way. You know what I say about it? I say, okay, you want to be negative? Be my guest. I'm not taking part in that. I'm thinking positive thoughts. Your enemies don't get to control what you wake up and think about this morning. Your enemies don't get to control what you focus on today. You decide. And if you've been in a pattern and if there's been a pattern of negativity in a relationship where people just tend to constantly lash out at each other in anger and impatience, take that moment today and say, you know what? I don't have to respond this way. Nobody controls my heart. I'm going to let my heart be controlled by God Almighty, by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to let my heart be controlled by Him. I'm going to let the peace of Christ reign. And if there's negativity that has to be addressed, if there's pseudo-secrets that have to be discussed at the appropriate time, we'll do it at the appropriate time with self-control, with patience and with kindness. But I'm not going to let this become like a knee-jerk reaction that all of a sudden it's like I don't even have control over my own thoughts and actions. Your own thoughts and actions are those precious things that you control. You're in charge. And then you decide that you're going to live and you're going to, you're going to exercise that charge in total union with and obedience to God. But let the peace of Christ control your hearts, not the negativity of somebody else. Oh, there's so much here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And let that you be plural. Now, here's a, this is a simple thing, but a really hard thing. Is there ever a time when your family prays together? Remember, Mother Teresa always said it. Family that prays together stays together. She loved to say that. I knew Mother Teresa in the last four years of her life. Family that prays, she always said, family that prays together stays together. But do you ever do it, even just like in Our Father? I mean, people, a lot of people are, you know, uncomfortable praying out loud spontaneously. You don't even have to do that. Let it be a, 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 a prayer that everybody knows full well, like the Our Father or the Hail Mary. But does, my question here today, and this is just for an examination of conscience, do we, ever, do we ever do that? Because it's a, such a simple thing, right? And yet it's such a big thing when a family has never done that. Not because they don't believe. It's not because they don't pray themselves. But it's such a big step. Going from, okay, everybody says their prayers quietly in their own hearts. Yeah, we pray. But, but now something whole, whole new thing is going to happen that we're actually going to say this prayer together? Brothers and sisters, that changes the whole world of the family. 
just saying an Our Father together. You want to try a really bold, powerful New Year's resolution? Try to accomplish it once. If your family never prays together, explicitly, out loud, at the same time, try, it, try to make it happen once. You'll be entering, you'll be breaking new ground, entering into a whole new dynamic. And what does that do? It brings the Word of God into the family. And people can go further and say, hey, let's take a little bit of time and read the, the reading of the day together. This is different from going to Mass together, because you're going to Mass, okay, everybody's worshiping at the Mass. I mean, that helps a great deal, but, but it's, it's something someone else is doing that you're entering into. But if you're in the house, and it's like, okay, the family's going to say a prayer now, or Uncle, Uncle John is going to have an operation. Hey, you know what, let's say an Our Father for him. Or some other, something happened in the, in the, in the, in the world. And, oh, let's say an Our Father for the people who are affected. Wow, this is, it, brothers and sisters, it's big. It's big. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude. Worship together, Paul is saying. All right, all of these are beautiful reflections about the family. Let me just add one other thing. Uh, St. John Paul II did a lot of teaching about the family. And you know I worked under him at the Vatican for a couple of years. And he... Uh, he always said, the, the cell of society, the cell is the family. Just like in your body, if you have healthy cells, you have a healthy body, healthy organisms. If the cells start to get sick, then the organs start to get sick, the body gets sick. And this is, the family is the cell of society. The family is also the sanctuary of life. Now I work, when I worked at the Vatican, I worked at the office called the Council for the Family. The Council for the Family. It, it was the office that fostered and, 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 and oversaw the, the work of the church in defense of human life, because obviously that's central to the family, and the family. So we always used to say over there, uh, no life without family, no family without life. The intersection and the interaction and the, the interdependence of strong families and protection of human life. Like I said before, nothing destroys families more than abortion. Brothers and sisters, the family is the sanctuary of life. One of the things, one of the reasons that we keep saying abortion is the preeminent issue, the preeminent moral evil, is precisely because, I mean, it's bad enough that a child be killed but here it's being done in, within the sanctuary of life. It's being done by one family member on another. That increases the, the degree of the evil, of the act. And murder is bad wherever and however it is, it is um, carried out. Whomever, whoever carries it out. But within the family? You see, it, how it, it takes on another dimension of evil. Family is the sanctuary of life. To solve the abortion problem, to end the violence of abortion, one of the key necessary things we need to do is restore and strengthen the family. Back to Dolores Greer's comment. You got to want to evangelize the family? You want to save the family? You want to strengthen the family? The one thing you got to do first. You got to find it. Where's the family? And that's what leads to more abortion. 
The absence of the father leads to more abortion. About half of those who get abortions say the reason they're getting it is because of the absence of the father. Can you imagine? And this is why, let me, let me bring you to this conclusion. It is a profound error on the part of the pro-life movement and the church if we try to present the abortion problem as just a woman's issue. I mean, it is a woman's issue, obviously, but not just a woman's issue. It can't possibly be. First of all, you don't have any child without the man. I, heard, I was in a discussion recently, and, and uh, was, there was a, a pro-life gentleman there in the discussion talking about how he responds to the, the, the uh, slogan of the other side, you know, no uterus, no opinion. You know, they're trying to say only a woman can have an opinion about abortion. And he turned around and said, no sperm, no child. It was a great response. Of course the man is involved. How, can, how in the world can abortion be just a woman's issue? It's absolutely absurd. And it's actually something the other side does on purpose, brothers and sisters. Not that they're missing the point. It's that they're trying to destroy the point. They know that the solution to, to, to the abortion problem is strong families. They know that you don't solve this in isolation. They also know in service to the abortion industry, you're going to get more abortions the more you isolate the woman. Isolate, isolate, isolate. That's their strategy. Isolate. That's the whole strategy of the left. They're Marxists and they, they, they want to control your children. And they want to isolate children from parents. Why do you think they hate parental rights so much? Whether it comes to abortion, education, sterilization, gender, tra gender transition. They hate the rights of parents in everything. Because that's how communism progresses. You've got to have the children. And, and, and so it's, 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 a, it's an anti-God, anti-family, anti-life philosophy. Be aware of what's going on here. It's deliberate on the part of the other side. We can't buy into that. We can't give one inch on that. The solution to the abortion problem is not just going to come about by what women say and what women think. It's going to come about by reuniting the responsible parties here, mother and father, together. And fathers, stop falling into, guys have to stop falling into the, into the mistake of, of, of thinking that the best thing to say to the mother of the child when she gets pregnant is, oh, it's your decision. No, 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 no. That isolates her. It's always, oh, I'm going to respect your decision. They might think they're saying the right thing, but they're doing harm by doing that. They're just making her feel more isolated. Why should it just be her decision? What's going to happen to that child? Was it just her decision that brought the child about? No, it's going to be coming together as a family. There's so much more to be said. I've kept you longer than usual here today, but it's good to be with you live. I see your comments, and, and, and it's New Year's Eve. I, I hope that you have a great New Year's celebration. Celebrate it. Make a good New Year's resolution. One is enough. Make it a good one. Stick with it. Don't get discouraged if, you know, if we're five days into the new year and you've already practically forgot what it was. Then pick it up again. If you drop it, pick it up again. This is how we grow. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for 2023. Uh, thank you for the trials. Thank you for what we have learned. Thank you for your constant forgiveness. 
lifting us up, enabling us to start in you. And thank you for the chance we have tonight to start in you. We do start anew in our resolution to follow you, to be holy, to serve, and to build a culture of life. Lord, we're going to end abortion, and we're going to save our nation. And we don't say that in any boastful way. We say that because we know you, and we trust you, and we are ready to receive from you the strength and the grace to do exactly that. Lord, we lift up to you all the intentions of our family here, our online family. We lift up to you all the intentions of and needs of everyone, whether they need consolation in sorrow or guidance in doubt or encouragement of, of any kind. Lord, whether they need material provisions or spiritual provisions or they're concerned about health of their own or of a loved one or spiritual health of their own or a loved one, whatever the need might be, Show us your love, Lord God, as you constantly answer our prayers. And we sum up those prayers now in the words Jesus gave us, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray to our Heavenly Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and it will be forever. Amen. And as we conclude, can I ask you one more thing? Many of you support us. Maybe a lot of you have not done so financially, our ministry, Priest for Life. It's the end of the year. Can you give an end of the year gift today or tonight at ProLifeGift.org? We need your help more than ever. Oh my goodness. The, the you, well, you know how things are with the economy, but with the challenges in the pro-life movement, the costs of doing this work are more intense than ever prolifegift.org, because we rely on you. We don't get these government grants like Planned Parenthood does or big foundations. A lot of them are just, you know, they're not interested in the abortion issue necessarily. Some are, but we don't get a lot of money that way either. It's you. It's the individual you. End of your gift at prolifegift.org would be a tremendous blessing for which I would be tremendously grateful. God bless you. Happy New Year. We'll be live tomorrow morning. First broadcast of the year. First day of the year. Join me. Bring some others with you. 10 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. And we'll talk about, again, the Word of the Lord. God bless. And stick, on, stick around here just for another moment or so as I go over to the control desk because Dr. Alvita King has a message for you on this New Year's Eve. God bless you. Hello, I'm Dr. Alveda King, board member of Priest for Life. More money is being spent in America to kill babies in the womb than to save them. Together, we need to change that, and today I want to invite you to support our work at Priest for Life. Why ours rather than other groups? Because 
We have a unique team that helps lead in every arena of the fight against abortion, and we activate the churches where you find people who are most likely to get involved in that fight. To awaken a pastor about abortion is to awaken thousands of people he serves. We do not receive church funding or government grants. We rely on you for individual donations. We have a very high evaluation among charities and top security on our donation site, ProLifeGift.org. You can go there for a one-time gift or to become a monthly donor, or you can call us at 321-500-1000. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.